Thank you for checking out this video. My name is Lindsay, and I'm so excited that you're here for this message from Redemption Church. Well, thanks again for being here. My name is Stephen. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. And here's what we're going to be doing over the next couple of weeks. We're going to look at the stories in the Gospels of what Jesus did on earth between his resurrection and his ascension. And so the Gospel of John has the most stories. I'll reference a couple of the other ones in the Gospel of Luke and the rest of the Bible. But we're going to look at the last messages that Jesus wanted to give to his disciples before he ascended into heaven. And so there's these special 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension, and we want to cover what Jesus did while he was on earth. Now, Jesus was not in constant community with his disciples during these 40 days. seems like he kind of came in and he came out. And uh, where he was during all of that time, we don't exactly know. But the story we're going to look at today happened on Easter night. And so if you can go a week ago, or back in your mind to a week ago, we just finished up our Easter service, and we finished with these words, I saw Jesus. And it was Mary explaining that she had seen Jesus, like personally. It wasn't just a statement of fact that the tomb was empty. She personally saw Jesus. And after that, she runs and she tells the disciples. So that's where we ended last week. So I saw Jesus. Well, now what? Now what? Well, everybody likes gifts. I mean, who doesn't like gifts? And so Easter, uh, there's gifts in, involved. And we see four of those gifts given on Easter Sunday night. And so we're going to look at the four gifts that Jesus gave his disciples on Easter Sunday night. Night. Now, between the time that Mary said, I saw Jesus, and this Sunday night, there's probably eight or nine hours. So what did Jesus do? Well, we know of at least two things that he did, and there's speculation about a third. So here are the two things we know happened. First, we know that he appeared to Peter personally at some point in time. We don't know what happened in that conversation. We don't know where that conversation took place. But at some point between Mary and this uh, story we're going to look at, Jesus appeared to Peter. Second thing that we know happened is that Jesus had a conversation with some of his followers. We don't think these are the 11 disciples, but some other followers of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. And so what was happening is these guys are walking and they're just talking about, you know, what everyone's talking about. No one can find Jesus's body. And as they're walking, Jesus shows up on the road. He's walking with them. They don't recognize him at first. Then he gets into this conversation. And part of the conversation Jesus has with them, this is recorded in Luke 24, by the way, is about the Old Testament. And so Jesus is having this conversation with these two people about the Old Testament. And Jesus has something so important to our understanding of the Bible. He says, let me explain to you how the Old Testament, starting with the prophets into the history and the Psalms throughout the entire Old Testament, let me explain to you how it's all about one thing. If you ever think, I don't understand the Old Testament, let me help you out right here. The Old Testament is all about one thing, Jesus. And so Jesus looks back or goes back and he explains to these guys on the road to Emmaus about how the entire Old Testament was all about him, about Jesus. And it really reminds us that everything in our faith comes back to Jesus. And so uh, the text says that then once Jesus started to explain the scriptures to these guys like this, it said their hearts burned within them. They got excited about the Old Testament because it was about 
Jesus. So after that moment, that's the second thing we know that happened. And then the third thing, this one is speculation. Some of my favorite scholars on the Bible think this happened. This is in Hebrews chapter nine, where some people think that when Jesus told Mary, I have not yet appeared before my father, that what he was saying is, I'm about to go up to my father, uh, and then I'm going to come back down immediately and present myself as the final sacrifice. This comes from Hebrews chapter nine, that Jesus actually went up momentarily presented himself as the final full sacrifice and then came back down for these last 40 days. That one is a uh, good conversation, could be up for healthy debate. Uh, and we, again, we see that, or the, the reasoning behind that in Hebrews chapter nine. And so maybe Jesus did that, maybe he didn't, but he was obviously filling up his time between the conversation with Mary and what we're gonna look at right now. And so here's the beginning of our story. On the evening of that day, this is Easter Sunday, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. So Sunday night, if you ever wonder why Christians used to meet on Sunday nights, here's why. On Sunday nights, the disciples are all gathered in this room. The door is locked. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is there. The disciples were there, by the way, because they were afraid. In some cases, rightfully so. They had seen the Jewish leaders uh, play a part in the persecution and then the prosecution of Jesus. And uh, they had not been very nice to Christ followers. And so the disciples are scared. They're afraid and they're up in the room and the doors are locked and Jesus shows up. Two things could have happened. One, uh, the door could have become supernaturally unlocked and Jesus could have walked through the door. That's one explanation of what could have happened. The second explanation is that Jesus could have just walked through the walls and just showed up in their midst, which would explain why in Luke they said they were so startled. Uh, whether it was option one or option two, we don't exactly know, but something supernatural happened and all of a sudden Jesus is there. And the disciples, they said, were in the gospel account of Luke, they were startled. They were amazed. They were shocked. Uh, one translation is they went, whoa, where did you come from? And uh, Jesus is all of a sudden right there in their midst. Now we see in here the first gift that we get from Jesus post-resurrection. They went from fear to peace. Jesus says to them, peace be with you. And there's multiple times in the gospel accounts where the disciples are afraid and either Jesus or an angel says to them, fear not. In fact, that's one of the most common instructions in the gospels, fear not. But here in the post-resurrected Jesus, he does not say to them, fear not, even though we're directly told that they were afraid. Instead, he says, peace be with you, peace be with you. The first gift that we get from a post-resurrected Jesus, from, from, from Jesus' resurrection is what? A move from fear to peace because of the resurrection. Now, when Jesus says, peace be with you, he's not just saying, don't have fear. When, when we tell someone, fear not, what are we saying? Don't be afraid. When we say, peace be with you, he is saying, don't be afraid, but he's saying so much more than that. Peace is the absence of fear. Why? Well, in Matthew 10, Jesus actually gives us a hint of why the Christian doesn't have to be afraid. Now, I get that this is um, a little dreary, but what Jesus says to them is you don't need to be afraid anymore because the worst someone can do to you is take your life. 
That's the worst that can happen in this life is that someone can take your life. The worst the world can throw at you is to take your life. And Jesus says, that's the worst. So you don't need to be afraid. Why? Because now because of a resurrected Jesus, what happens if the Christian's life is taken? We get to spend eternity with him. And so no matter how scary the world can get, we know that if the worst happens, I still spend eternity with Jesus. Paul says it this way, for me to die is gain. The Christian at the very bottom of their belief has this, we spend eternity with Jesus. And so if the worst happens, if the worst happens, it just means I get to spend eternity with Jesus. doesn't mean we have sorrow. It doesn't mean we look for death. It means that we know that we still have Jesus. Peter calls it a living hope. It can never be taken from us. We get eternity with Jesus. And so fear can subside. But in this phrase, peace be with you, it's not just the absence of fear, which is something I hope you have right now. Because Jesus is resurrected, I hope that fear in your life is dwindling. But also, it means the presence of calm. We can be um, unafraid, but also not know calm. So peace is the absence of fear. It is also the presence of calm. Paul says it this way, don't worry. Jesus says, don't be anxious that we can know calm in the midst of whatever's going on because of the resurrection power of Jesus. And so do not fear an absence of fear, but a presence of calm. So do you have that calm this morning? Do you have the calm? And you say, well, where does this calm come from? From the fact that Jesus showed his resurrection power. He has power even over death. If he has power over death, then he has power over anything. So it's the absence of fear. It's the presence of calm. Here's the third part of this phrase, peace be with you. This word peace all throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament is a word that means uh, victory. It's tied to a word prosperity. It's a word that means there is good involved. And so peace be with you is the absence of fear. It's the presence of calm, but it's also like a reinvigoration of your spirit. It's an energizing because of the resurrecting power of Jesus. We don't just not have fear and we don't just have calm. We also have a spirit revived by him because he gained the victory. There's excitement and there's energy in victory. And so when Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you're afraid, but peace be with you. He's saying, don't have fear, have calm and let your spirit be enlivened by my victory. So friend, this morning, peace be with you. Whatever the circumstances, the first gift of the resurrection is that we move from fear to peace. Peace, an absence of fear, a presence of calm, a reinvigorated spirit. Now, these gifts are gonna move um, sequentially. And so maybe you've had a time in your life where somebody gave you a gift and they're like, no, 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 you have to open that one first. Then you open this one. We're gonna save the best one for last. This first gift must be open first. We must first understand the peace that comes from Jesus' resurrection. No fear, calm, an invigorated spirit. Okay, now, now peace has come over us. Now we get to open up the second gift. What's the second gift? Well, Jesus says it this way. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. 
the first part of that verse is Jesus just telling them. We see this more in the Luke account that he isn't just a, he's not a spirit. He's still a body. He still has a body. And so he says, look at my, look at my hands. Touch my side. See that I am a body. He says, spirits don't have bodies. I'm still a body. Now it's a resurrected body. It's a better body. Uh, it's a redeemed body. It's a body not broken by sin, but it's still a body. By the way, that's the body that those of us who are in Christ all get one day. We'll all get a resurrected body. And so you can look forward to that right now. If your body's not the way you want it to be, someday you're going to get a new one. And so a resurrected body, Jesus says, I have that. But then he says, or it says that they were glad. The Luke account tells us that they were sorrowful. And so the second gift that we get because of the resurrection of Jesus is that we get to move from sorrow to joy. Now, it's not any secret why the disciples were sorrowful. They had just seen Jesus brutally murdered. Their hopes had been dashed in the cross. They, they thought, this was in the Luke account that I mentioned earlier, those disciples that were walking on that road, they had said to Jesus, we thought he was going to redeem us, but then he died. And what they failed to know at that moment was that it was by dying that he was redeeming. And so now they were seeing that everything that they thought was sad is actually joyful. What they thought was so sad, Jesus' death, was actually their greatest source of joy. And so the Christian, as a gift from God, because of the resurrection of Jesus, moves from sorrow to joyful. This word glad, uh, we would use the word happy. Let me tell you something sad. It's amazing how our doctrine in modern Christianity has gotten so twisted that when a pastor says, does God want us to be happy? People throw up red flags as almost if we've arrived at this place that it's like scary or unchristian to want to be happy or to think that God wants us to be happy. Now, those of you who are parents, let me ask you this question. Do you want your kids to be happy? Of course you do. Of course you want your children to be happy. And this word glad here means they were happy. Like good news came. Good news makes us happy. The gospel is called good news. I don't know about you, but when I hear good news, there's like this emotional response to it where you just feel happy. Let me just clear something up. There's nothing wrong with saying God wants us to be happy. Now, when I say I want my daughter to be happy, that doesn't mean I want her to be spoiled. It doesn't mean I want her to be a brat. It doesn't mean that I know nothing bad is gonna ever happen in her life. But of course I want her to be happy. Guess what? God wants us to be happy. It's okay. In fact, uh, we were originally, a couple months ago, we had planned on doing an entire series right now on does God want me to be happy? How sad that uh, we actually have to ask this question because we've manipulated scripture so much to say, well, God doesn't care if you're happy. God doesn't want you to be happy. Over and over in the scriptures, it talks about joy, singing in gladness, being blessed. And the word blessed actually means happy. So let's understand the fact that God, our heavenly father, he brings us good news and good news makes us joyful or glad or happy. And so in this second part, what we're seeing is this, that the disciples, the second gift is to move from sorrow to joy, gladness, happiness. Why? Because he's alive. <laughs> because Jesus is alive. It's a source of good news and happiness that can't be taken regardless of our circumstances in life. 
I referenced this verse already, but Peter calls it a living hope. It's something that no matter what, no matter how dark life gets, there is always a light at the end of the tunnel. And that is called our eternal life with Jesus. And so it's a source of joy, no matter what we're going through. It doesn't mean that we love every circumstance. It doesn't mean that we look for... Um, pain points or, or trials to go through. Uh, it does mean that when they do come, we can choose joy because there's always a source of happiness and joy on the other end. And that's eternity with Jesus. It's a secure salvation in Christ that can't be taken away. And it's a source of joy. And so right now, if you're feeling down, let me just remind you of a joy that can't be taken from you, a happiness, a good news. Jesus saved you. He resurrected. There's eternity with him. It's a joy that can't be taken. Now, this is a universal joy, right? But there's also situational joy. And so we know that there are times in our lives um, when we're feeling dark, when we're feeling depressed, when we're feeling sorrowful. And there's a lot of different reasons for that. But let me tell you at least one antidote. I'm not saying this always fix everything, but here's one. It's, uh, it's being reminded of the goodness of Jesus. When we're feeling dark, what sends the darkness away? light. And so when we're feeling dark, when we're feeling down, when we're feeling sad, what, what do we need? We need light in our life. Now, scripture says that Christians, that we are the light of the world, which means part of the role that we play together as a church family, part of the role that we play in each other's lives is bringing light into each other's dark situations. Uh, we can do that through, well, right now, we can do it through a text message, a letter, an email, a Facebook message, um, sending a digital wave, encouraging one another, bringing light into each other's lives and um, glorifying Jesus and reminding each other of the gospel. And it brings situational joy. Yeah, there's a joy at the end, we know, but sometimes we just need joy in the moment. And that joy is somebody, a fellow Christian, coming into our lives in whatever way and, and being light to us. So be light to each other, encourage each other, find ways to connect with each other. We're trying to do this as a church right now, staying connected to our church family so that we can be reminded of the light that comes from the gospel, the good news that is in Jesus, the news that is better than any other news. He died for our sins, he rose from the grave and that can't be taken from you or me. And so the second gift that we get in being in Christ is moving from sorrow to joy. Sorrow to joy. Uh, in this idea of joy, uh, I've talked about this before. I've used this phrase, own the morning, right? That we wake up every morning, we remind ourselves of God's mercy. That brings joy into our hearts. And we're saying from the beginning of the day, I'm gonna root myself in the mercy and the joy of Jesus. Now I talk about this a lot, but I never get a chance to like practice this with you. So I wanna do that this week. So uh, starting tomorrow morning at 7.30 a.m., I'm gonna log into my Facebook. If you don't have Facebook, join the 21st century. I'm gonna log into my Facebook. So this will be Facebook only. Uh, and I'm going to go through my morning devotional with you. So I read the Psalm of the day. And so uh, today was the 111th day of the year. And so this morning I read Psalm 111. So tomorrow we're gonna start with Psalm 112. So at 7.30 a.m., I'm gonna get on, it'll be live. You you can join me, you can write back, or we'll pray with each other. And I wanna practice owning the morning together. And so I'm just gonna walk with you through this all. Now I'm gonna do this every day this week. I don't know how long this is gonna continue. Um, you know, we'll see how good at 
at it, I am. Uh, but we'll join, uh, join, join me tomorrow or whatever day this week. Uh, or if you miss it at 7.30, you can always just catch it on Facebook. But I wanna practice us owning the morning together, being light to each other, starting our day off rooted in Jesus together. So I'll see you at 7.30 a.m. I'm not done, by the way, so don't go anywhere. Okay, third gift, third gift. Second gift, sorrow to joy. Third gift, Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. There's that phrase. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. I'm sending you. Again, these gifts are sequential, remember? So he was like, have peace. You're going to need it. Have joy. You're going to need it because gift number three, I got a mission for you. I've got a mission for you. And what Jesus is saying now to these guys is, you're relatively inactive. And that's what happened after his death. They kind of just uh, went up, they hid, and they stopped. And Jesus is now saying, you're going to move from inactive to active. You're going to move from purposeless to purposeful. And so the third gift that Christians are given because of the resurrection of Jesus is we have a forever mission. Now, uh, I don't know about you, but when I have something like good going on on a particular day, there's a different sense when you wake up. You're like, I get to do this today. Well, for the Christian, we have a forever one of those. I get to wake up today and be about the mission of Jesus. See, here's what happens for the Christian. When you become a Christ follower, before you're a Christ follower, um, whether you're a good person or a bad person, before you're a Christ follower, we align our lives around a particular mission or purpose. Now, for some people, even without Jesus, their mission or purpose can be selfless. It can be good. It can be serving humanity, but it's still their mission and purpose. Everybody has one. But then when we become followers of Jesus, what we do is we jump off of that path. We forsake the path that was our own path. And now we're just following Jesus's path. And so once you become a disciple of Jesus, you no longer have a personal mission. You no longer have like, this is what I do. You just get to take Jesus's mission. And so you wake up now every single day and say, my mission is Jesus's mission. I'm just following Jesus. When you were back on your own, you took all of your time, your energy, your talent, your hopes, your dreams, um, your money, your, your skills, all of it. And you said, I'm gonna accomplish my mission. Then when you go over to Jesus, you just take everything that you had over there and you apply it to Jesus's mission. And so now as a disciple of Christ, you say, I'm gonna take all of my time, all of my energy, all of my skill, all of my money, all of my hopes, all of my dreams, and I'm aligning all of them behind Jesus's mission. James tells us you can't choose both. You can't have your mission and his mission. You only get one, which means if all of your time and energy and talent and skills and all that isn't aligned behind Jesus's mission, then you're probably still choosing the other one. There's only one choice. There's only one path. The third gift, and this is a gift. It's a gift that Jesus gives us when he says, now you can be a part of my mission. So whether you're young or old, high school or retired, unemployed right now or employed, able to leave your house right now or not able to leave your house, you have been given a mission, a mission that is supposed to pop you up out of bed every morning that says, today I get to be about advancing the cause of Christ. It is over everything else in my life. And so I'm gonna use my time, my talent, my money, my energy, my skill, my everything to advance the cause of Christ. And what is the mission? The mission is shown to us in verse 23. I'm gonna skip over verse 22 for a second. I will get back to it though, because it's an important one. Verse 23 says this, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, 
it is withheld. Here's what that verse isn't saying. This verse isn't saying that you and I uh, get to decide when somebody is forgiven or not. That verse isn't saying, all right, you decide if you want, you know, this person to be okay with God or not. Here's what that verse is saying. That by the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ, people's sins can be forgiven. The message of the gospel, the message of Christianity is a relatively simple message. It's profound, but it's simple. Jesus paid the price of our sins by his death on the cross. Around here, we call that redemption. And by his resurrection now, we are given a new life. Around here, we call that freedom. It's why we say we exist to help all people because anyone and everyone needs to know this message, that your sins are paid for on the cross. Jesus made your redemption payment and now you can live in freedom because he resurrected from the grave. That's the message. And so when I say a Christian is now given a mission, our mission, your mission as a disciple of Jesus is to take everything that you are and everything that you have and align it around that mission. It's why Christians serve. It's why Christians give. It's why Christians use their time. It's why Christians wake up thinking about other people. It's why Christians pray for people. It's why Christians pray on their own because I want to advance the cause of Christ so that everyone would know this simple message. We were dead in sin. Jesus paid the price. Now you can be resurrected from the grave. Because of Jesus, you can go from fear to peace. You can go from sorrow to joy. That's the mission. That's it. Anything in religion that becomes about something other than that is missing the point. The point is that people would know that their sins are paid for by Jesus. That his resurrection now gives them power over over sin. And that when we believe in Jesus, then we'll be sanctified, we'll be changed, we'll become more like Jesus. This is the message of the gospel. So let me ask, is your entire life Is your entire life aligned behind seeing that advance? Is all of your time, energy, talent, skill, money, is it all aligned to that purpose? Is it? I don't know what other lesser thing you've been wasting your time, energy, talent, or money on. It's okay. That's all forgiven. Let's just move forward in the right way now. Everything I am, everything we are as a disciple of Jesus is aligned towards the advancement of the gospel. Now, this happens in so many ways we also have to be honest with ourselves. And at, point, at times in life, we have to stop and evaluate and say, am I really more about my own mission? Am I really holding back a part of my life? Or is everything I am and have aligned to the mission of Jesus? That's the third gift. He gives us a mission to be about. Here's the fourth gift. Again, these are sequential. Fourth gift is this. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus is looking at his disciples, his disciples who have clearly been what theologically we would say baptized into the baptism of John. Like any Old Testament saint, they had believed in faith. So what is happening here in this fourth gift? Jesus is looking at them. He says he's breathing on them. This word breathe or breathe on, breath, is used in two other really important points in the scripture. The one is in Genesis chapter two. And in Genesis chapter two, it says that Adam's body was formed, uh, the bones and the muscles and all of that. And then as his body laid there lifeless, God, the spirit of God breathed on him. And then he came to life. And so there's something about this word breathe that means coming to life. In the book of Ezekiel, 
chapter 37, there's this famous passage about these dry bones or these dead bones, the valley of dead bones. And uh, in Ezekiel 37, it says that the bones and the sinews, and they all came together, but then the spirit of God breathed life into them. And as life was breathed into them, then they became alive and they became an army following God. And so this word breath, breathe, it's the spirit of God breathing on them. Notice what Jesus said here. He says to them, receive ye or receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus had talked about the Holy Spirit. He talked about him in John 17 and what is known as his high priestly prayer. And he had mentioned the Holy Spirit. He even said to them at one point, it's better for me to leave so that you might get the Holy Spirit. So what's happening here in John chapter 20? What's this interaction with the Holy Spirit? Receive the Holy Spirit. I wanna say the fourth gift is this. We go from old to new. We go from old to new to new. You could say what's happening here in John chapter 20 is the new birth. Jesus had a conversation with a religious leader when he said, you have to be born again. No Christian can become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit that activates faith. It is the Holy Spirit um, that turns our heart, um, one translation or one verse says, um, from cold to warm, from dead to alive. The Holy Spirit is essential in the process of salvation. And so here in this moment, Jesus looks at his disciples and he, he breathes on them. He breathes a new life into them and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe today where you're at is you've never understood this fourth gift, the gift of salvation, the gift of new life, the gift of being born again. You have believed in your head about Jesus. You've believed in religion. You've done good works. You've done all of this stuff. But what you haven't done is seen this fourth gift. You haven't seen that it's as easy as the Spirit of God breathing on you and receiving salvation. Do it right now. It doesn't require good works. It doesn't require that you earn it. It requires believing that Jesus paid for your sins on the cross and that his resurrection from the grave secured eternal life. The Holy Spirit then transforms the heart. And if right now you're saying, I want that. That's the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you. Now, here's what's interesting. Clearly, the disciples right here received the Holy Spirit. And some people mistake this passage and they say, oh no, Jesus was prophesying what was gonna happen uh, on the day of Pentecost. No, he wasn't. No other time in uh, the Bible or in antiquity do we see this usage of the Greek word as something that was talking about the future. It was talking about right then and right there. And the Holy Spirit, um, there was a conversion of sorts in the disciples' heart. They were made new. The fourth gift is that we get to be made new. <laughs> that we get to go from the old life to the new life. We're made spiritually alive. The breath of God comes upon us. Now, here's what's interesting. Over the next few chapters, we're gonna see the disciples after this moment. And they're not completely different creatures. There's still some fear in them. There's still some returning to their old patterns. They still kind of look like the same people pre-death and pre-resurrection of Jesus. So let me tell you, maybe you've said, I've, I've, I think I've done this before, but I, I didn't see all of the transformation in my life I would have wanted to. Well, then you're kind of like the disciples. You're kind of like the disciples. We're not just completely different in a moment. We're given a, a, a new nature, but it doesn't mean that all the old patterns are gone. 
We'll see that in these next few stories. But I also want to tell you this. There's a fifth gift. There's a fifth gift. That gift doesn't happen on Easter night. That gift happens on the day of Pentecost. It's a fifth gift that is given to every believer in Jesus. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so we'll talk about that fifth gift in the future. But today I want to remind you of the first four gifts. That because of Jesus' resurrection, you can move from fear to peace. Do you have that this morning? It's available to you. Because of the resurrection, you can move from sorrow to joy. Do you have that joy that can't be taken? Because of the resurrection, you can move from purposeless to purposeful. Are you ready to wake up every day and to give all that you are for the advancement of the message of Jesus's good news? And because of the resurrection, you can be made new. You can go from old to new. And so maybe that's where you're at this morning. You need to receive the gospel. You need to believe in Jesus. Do that this morning. Pray this prayer. God, I believe in Jesus' death as the payment of my sin. I want the freedom that comes from his power over resurrection. Save me. You're saved. That's salvation. Is there a lot more to learn? Oh yeah. Are you gonna be perfect right away? Oh no. But now you're on a new path. And in that new path, we align ourselves towards Jesus's mission, being sourced from his peace and his joy. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like more information on our church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com.